outcome. It was an ambiguous statement as to when and how, but 18 would come. 18 M270s or 18 Atacans? Well, that's the point. He uh, stressed the MGM, MGM-140s, which is interesting because these would be Atacans. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, the thing is, is if Ukraine is starting to throw MGM-140s around, then the last comparative advantage that the Russians have, which is the Tornado missile, uh, basically evaporates. Now, I don't know how how far behind Russian lines the Ukrainians can see, but certainly if you can get targeting solutions on, uh, on Tornado and you can start launching MGM-140s at them, um, I say when that happens, we all have a party. I think this is all about uh, degradating, uh, degradating and eradicating the supply lines and supply depots and uh, maintenance and repair shops the Russians have built up. Um, yeah, I mean, once you've got something like artillery parity and you can keep swatting down uh, Russian batteries as they appear, that's when you start moving more and more of your deep fires into killing supply depots. And once you get into the place where you are managing to uh, functionally destroy the last 40 kilometers of the logistics train feeding the frontline troops, uh, that's that's where you start getting mass surrenders. You know, I, I think that that's, that's good news. But I imagine Ukraine is probably going to want to knock out Tornado first. That makes good sense. Uh, I think Rava, you had a comment? Yeah, hello, everyone. Uh, dealing with the M270s or M270A1s or whatever version they end up getting sent, I think one of the reasons it's got the Russians uh, all at Twitter is the fact that they know exactly what they will do to a Soviet-style division thanks to Operation Desert Storm. Uh, MLRS takes the field, and all of a sudden you cannot concentrate troops. You've got to do super-wide dispersal, so how do you mass for an attack? All the impetus, all the mass that you would need to continue an assault suddenly evaporates if you're worried about, you know, a thousand cluster bombs falling from the sky. I think this is just as important as pushing, hitting the supplies and hitting the, the batteries is the fact that it prevents the uh, assumption that you can ever have enough mass at the point of attack because you're operating under skies that are now going to rain death on you. What? Um Back to Portland, they've got tailored and smooth. Exactly. Um, yeah, the uh, the grid square removal service uh, relies on the M28 missile, uh, which are in very limited inventory now and don't have anywhere near the range of the guided uh, M30, M31 family. So uh, I don't know... Uh, I don't really think that MLRS really has that effect on you can't concentrate anymore. Uh, there are other missile systems such as Brimstone that do that uh, very, very effectively. But that isn't really the job of uh, multiple rocket launches. See, I was under the impression that we were sending them a lot of our leftover stocks of uh, cluster munition warheaded missiles that we were no longer using. Um, so that is the, I believe, the M31 missile. Uh, the M31 uses a sensor-fused cluster munition dispenser 
you get far fewer cluster munitions uh, than you would uh, from the M28 over a longer distance. Uh, but those those munitions are uh, they're specifically designed for looking for hard targets and detonating over them for a a top kill. Um, but they are they're not as good at simply denying a massive wide area uh, as as the uh, the M twenty eight was. If you were willing to tolerate the M twenty eight shorter range. Gotcha. Thank you, Borland. Thank you. Okay, Castelli, then Smooth, then uh, David, then Johnny. Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, I appreciate everybody who participates in this space. Um, seriously, everybody, even if some opinions uh, are uh, different, and that's even better uh, because, uh, like, free world needs different opinions. Again, um, each of us can probably do something else um but we are here because we we feel this is our cause and we support ukraine so i appreciate everybody's uh, opinion and everybody's in now my uh, a lot of my uh, uh, talk was uh, based on the there, there was a question like what moldova should do and uh, if we look at it its president, president of Moldova, just recently made two important statements. One was the army is not where it needs to be. And second, uh, and she made this statement out of like the, the, the highest tribune she could. That was, I, I think, EU meeting or something. And she said, uh, the country is occupied by Russian forces, which Moldova doesn't want them to be there. So... Like, what else she could do? This is an invitation to help them train the army, give weapons so that they kick Russians out, or an invitation to come and do this job for them. They wouldn't mind if somebody comes in and kicks Russians out. Um, That's probably as as strong a statement as a president of the country can make, but... Uh, yeah, they have a lot of issues. And in terms of uh, European matters, it would be naive to expect that uh, Moldova is taking the role that much more powerful countries um, can take and uh, I would support should be taking. And I see Georgia in a very similar situation, frankly. Um, can they do more? Absolutely. They, they themselves are occupied countries, captive countries. But uh, even when Georgians were helping coalition fight in Afghanistan, their training was limited to how to fight Afghan guerrillas and uh, was in no way, not the slightest way, similar to what they may be needing in their own country, fighting back Russians. Like, Javelins and stingers, the U.S. only started shipping them, I believe, this year, maybe a little bit earlier. And javelins and stingers are pretty much a type of of weapon that Reagan Reagan started shipping to Afghan Mojahed once a while ago. Um, 
And we are only talking weeks uh, about more serious weapons. Uh, so, again, uh, other countries will do as much, but uh, they, they are watching. They are watching Western leaders, so-called leaders of the free world. And that's natural. I, uh, I, I'd rather uh, have them watching leaders of free world than, than other leaders, you know, because there are other people too watching, you know, somebody else. Um, it's all a matter of who you consider your leader. Now, one reason, and maybe I sounded more frustrated than I should, but one reason for that is, you know, just as recently as yesterday, I believe, they found new mass grave in Bucha. People were again tied with their hands behind their back, shot in knees and shot in head. So they were executed, but I haven't heard much of talk about it. It looks like we are getting used to new normal. And this is not normal. You know, we stop talking about how to stop this atrocity and this world crime. And we are talking about potential, you know, food shortage in somewhere else. And we are talking about saving face. And, uh, and frankly, I don't know what, uh, like that uh, initiative of Italy of how to kind of bring peace to, to Ukraine, I think it's a shame. But uh, yeah, but, but, but that's where we are. Uh, I'm sure the presidents uh, will visit and uh, try to talk about, you know, how to learn coexisting with Russia and what Russia, like, I don't want to coexist uh, with uh, world criminals. I want world crime to be stopped. Anyway, um, yeah, that was in a, th- th- that was in short what I wanted. Like this butcher story really moved me. We almost it almost went unknown. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Um, I think a lot of us have, this is some an awful turn of phrase, but priced it all in already. Uh, in fact, no. Uh, about four days in, I, I priced a lot of this in already because I knew what was going to happen on the basis of what has happened previously in previous uh, previous times when uh, Russian troops were on other people's soil. Um, so this is this is just you know, confirming in specifics what we already knew. So that's at least my perspective. But I think that's not a necessarily a very commonly shared perspective among many, generally. Um, we were, Dominic, we remember, we were, we were scolded, we were attacked, we were sought after and uh, by many, many people when we said this was about to happen. Yes. This is how far yes. it went. Yeah, I, I blocked that out, rather, uh, because I just chalked it up to a lack of understanding of, a, well, a lack of historic understanding, let's say. Um, I think we got uh, Christian up because he wants to comment a little bit on the Moldova situation. Uh, if that's correct, Christian, unmute yourself and go ahead. Yes, of course. Uh, my name is Christian. Uh, first, I want uh, to express my deep, deep heartbreak upon hearing uh, the death of Roman. I was absolutely dumbfounded when I, when I heard out this was true. Um, Second, I want to introduce a bit my, uh, myself a bit as um, 
many many of you have no clue uh, what I actually do. I'm a, I used to be not right now, but I used to be um, an advisor on uh, national security and policy in uh, for Romanian uh, MPs. And um, I do have a point to make about uh, what Alex said earlier about Moldova. I'm not that knowledgeable about Moldova. For that, he should maybe get a Moldovan. But uh, it's still, I'm Romanian, so I guess I know a bit more. So the point is about what uh, Maya Sandu said, which is the president of Moldova. It's not actually neither an invitation for training, neither an invitation for uh, other countries to take the responsibility of kicking the Transnistrian troops out of Moldova. Moldova is a bit uh, complicated in my opinion because uh, the process of Russification that happened for 80 years, more, more than 80 years, I'm guessing, uh, it was it's, it's, it was almost complete at the point. I don't know if you can understand what I'm, uh, the point I'm trying to make. The point is, is that uh, even though, even if you could uh, actually train the troops, Moldavian troops, to actually fight uh, in Transnistria, you don't really have uh, a good uh, picture of how loyal they are. So. That is a big, big problem. For example, a couple of days ago, maybe two or three days ago, I just saw a Moldovan uh, mercenary getting killed in uh, Donbass, I think. Um, I kind of forgot exactly where, but the point is, it's. I think she might actually want uh, a diplomatic solution for uh, Transnistria. That is my two cents about uh, the whole Moldavian situation. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. Um, that would, I would greatly appreciate that because uh, I can't DM you. But if you could DM me, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I, I think we have to be a little bit um, yeah, careful, as you said, because of the very delicate political situation. I got a couple of uh, DMs Kateli, from, uh, from other Romanians saying that they're not quite sure if the way you portrayed it was quite right. No, no offense to you. Of course, I, 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 for one, really value your contributions. I think that it was just ever so slightly misstated, uh, and I think that's what also Christian caught, uh, caught on to. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, it, it is a very complicated situation, just as Christian outlined, because of the political situation, right, and because of the sort of split society in Moldova. Uh, yeah, I am familiar, actually, more familiar than. Uh... I I am not trying to speak about Moldova. I just heard that the president said the country is occupied. Um, and uh, everything else is just my interpretation and may be completely wrong. Maybe um, I, I, there is something else there. Now, I know it's complicated. For Georgian government, it's complicated too. Like, um, uh, I just heard its prime minister saying, oh, it's complicated. Uh, we are acting in best interest of our nation, which, uh, and frankly, I think best interest of our nation is supporting Ukraine, honestly. I am um, also doing it 
in best interest of my nation. Um, because I think it's just a matter of whether it is today or three years from now, but it's coming. And it's better to act now as much as you could. And I'm not saying that we should start, you know, shooting in our streets in Georgia right now. But um, we should probably, I don't know, send uh, or at least not, uh, not block people who want to go and fight as volunteers, especially those who are more assets than liabilities. Because, you know, if, if they have no experience whatsoever and now wanted to learn how to fight, that's not the best place. They should probably learn somewhere else before. Uh, joining the fight but um yeah i know it's complicated you know when, when you speak to people and domestic violence is probably not a good comparison but it's yeah you've heard it it's complicated um it's always complicated it's always everybody every person is trying to act in his best interest the only problem is sometimes people have a wrong idea about what best interest is like i'm pretty sure when north stream one and north stream two were built or approved for building those decisions were made in best interest but looking back from where we're today um, that whole rationale is now comes under question mark right was it really in best interest maybe diversification is best interest for national security and European security to begin with. Like we can look at some statements made 10 years ago where diversification was announced to be in best interest of Europe. And yet we did build two pipelines. Not we, I mean, I, I didn't spend a penny, but uh, people did build two pipelines whose only purpose was to bypass Ukraine and prepare the ground, lay the ground for the invasion. It was so blatantly obvious that not noticing is um, shocking, honestly. But it's only visible looking from today's perspective. Like even a year ago, it wasn't even visible or people just prefer to look in the other direction. But anyway, yeah, what is in best interest is is a matter of uh, debates. And I know it's complicated. It's never is simple and straightforward. Never. Thank you. Thanks, Alec. Um, yeah, <laughs> never simple and straightforward. I should put this as a subtitle of the space, maybe. Uh, let's uh, let's go on to Smooth and David and Johnny. Smooth. Yeah, hi. Um, I got two things. Um, the first uh, follow-up to Castelli um, about the bodies found in, in Bucha. Um, I think you're totally right. Um, I've seen it here in, in the news today. Um, but I think that, that the general problem is that um, the human, the general human mind can only take so much. And, and, and I think that... Uh, um, the, the sad thing is that it's it's pretty common for a lot of people. They they want to be want to go back in their in their so-called usual life uh, and ignore things like that. And and that's why I think that this 
this space is so important and it's so important for everybody here um, to be informed and, and to pass this information and, uh, you know, keep keep the so-called fire burning so that, that everybody keeps up with what's happening in the, with the Ukrainian genocide. And, uh, because people tend to, to focus on other things and um, we have to make sure, and I think this space is very important for it, um, to inform the people and uh, make sure we can do the best, the best for, for Ukraine. Um, second thing, um, I just wanted to follow up on something that the, the uh, British-French gentleman said some, some time ago. He was referring to Macron and, uh, and, uh, and that he doesn't want Macron and, and France to be uh, compared to Germany. Um, which is kind of funny because the, uh, a lot of the calls that Macron had with uh, with Putin were joint calls along with with Scholz. And um, as Axel said before, um, I'm also pretty sure by the numbers that Germany has has provided much more military help than than France. And um, also the numbers I see on the internet is with Germany. Um, uh, uh, taking up or picking up more than 800,000 um, refugees uh, from France, uh, from Ukraine, sorry, um, is much more than, than France did. But that's that's um, and that's not the point, because I think if we, we come to a discussion like that, we should not have that. When it comes to Germany and, and France and, and discussions like that, it's like two boys uh, uh, dropping their pants and looking who's who's got the bigger one. And there's going to be a, a third person um, around that's looking at both of you and, and telling them, you know, guys, you, you both don't have anything to brag about. So pick up the pants and, and do something more. You know what I mean? It's, it might be a little bit drastic, but it's it's just like, let's not get picked apart. Um, both countries, as well as other countries, can and must do much, much more. But there's no sense in, in any inter-European discussion and, and I did this and you did that and and uh, uh, mine is bigger than yours. That's that's totally bullshit. And we, and especially Ukraine, doesn't have any time or place for that. Thanks. Do not apologize, Smooth. I think you executed that metaphor perfectly. Okay, let's go on to David. Uh, at the risk of uh, beating a dead horse, though, I don't think we really beat it. Uh, I, as an American, I want to say that uh, the 1776 can have his views they do not represent mine. I think that we are members of NATO because we saw an expansionist threat from the Soviet Union, and we did not want the Iron Curtain to move westward, and we wanted to set up a principle that none of Western Europe at the time would face the Soviet Union alone. So we had an alliance and that alliance after the fall of the Soviet Union was spread to the Eastern European countries, which, which were able to join because we didn't want them to face Russia alone because they understood that there may be a continuing threat. And to me, the burden, you know, we, to me, the burden, moral burden for us is why is Ukraine fighting alone? And I understand the logic and the, the thinking that has got us to just supplying them with weapons. But, you know, I feel like we have an overwhelming burden to help them, to assist them. We have an overwhelming burden because of the Budapest Memoranda, that even if we met the, the requirements, 
in the document, the spirit of it is that countries are going to, we are going to ask countries to give up their nuclear weapons to prevent proliferation, and then we will support them. If we agree to do that, then we have a strong interest in, in fulfilling that. Um, and then you add to that our commitment to never again allowing genocidal crimes to, to occur. So I feel busting over in wanting to help Ukraine more. I feel like I would be happier if we were, if we were on the ground, but I realize we don't have support for that. I realize the, the strategic concerns that prevent that, but I want us to do everything possible to support them. And I see our interests as Americans as very tightly and deeply bound up into that. And so I hope, I, I, I don't think that everyone in America necessarily agrees with that, but that's how I see it as an American, and I strongly disagree with his position. Thanks for that. Uh, oh, you're ready. No, sorry, I thought you dropped ready. Uh, very well. Uh, I, I will refrain from commenting for uh, any more on, uh, on that discussion just because I just wanted to be gone already, ready, uh, because I think it was taken somewhat beyond what was actually said. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. Um, let's go on to Portland and Doc, then I'm sure we'll have more hands by then. Portland. Hello. Um, so we've had this conversation a couple of times uh, on the subject of, you know, relative contributions, uh, you know, via V Germany and France. And uh, I find it quite difficult because... It's a, a conversation that requires quite a few nuances. Uh, and I'm looking at the, the charts. I'm looking at the numbers right now for the, the countries that have given the most aid uh, to Ukraine expressed in dollar terms. But the problem with this is that some of these numbers uh, are a little bit disingenuous. So, for example... Poland is underreporting their contribution because they aren't counting the amount of money that they spend uh, moving equipment around because the, the last leg of logistics getting all of this kit into Ukraine is being handled by the Poles. So they're coming in at $1.62 billion uh, contributed. I think that, honestly, they are understating that by about half a billion dollars. Um, then you've got Germany in fourth reporting $1.49 billion. Uh, but nearly a third is debt. It's not actual military equipment. It is just they are letting the Ukrainians hold off on repaying bonds so that they can buy military equipment elsewhere. The problem here is that Germany is systematically withholding uh, permission from the manufacturer of the Marder, from Spain wanting to deliver Leopard 2, uh, from the company that, that, uh, that bought the Gepards that wants to deliver them to Ukraine. Uh, so I think, I think Germany really does come in for a unique level of flack on this one. Um, but when you get down the list of donors and then you get to France, um, France, 
relative to GDP is the 13th biggest donor. Um, no, sorry, the 11th biggest donor. Um, and they appear, they appear to be playing a sitting-on-the-fence wait-and-see game. And, you know, while I will concede that the Caesar is the best artillery system that the Ukrainians currently have, they only have six of them. And there's no particularly good reason that the other 12 on order uh, shouldn't already have been delivered. Um, sometimes I'm not sure whether that's a full stop or an audio glitch, but I think that was a full stop. Um, let's go to... Um, okay, no, actually, no, let's not go to... I, I wish to comment on this a little bit. Um, I think you're right. Numbers are decidedly not straightforward. Numbers are hard to interpret because sometimes they include things that have been promised and not yet delivered. Sometimes they include things that won't be delivered for many months still. Sometimes they include things that are currently, you know, Ukrainians are currently in training on and will be there in a few weeks. It's very difficult to keep good track of that. Sometimes it even includes things that um, countries have promised but not delivered. And as you noted, sometimes it simply includes things that aren't really military help. Um, such as the debt relief component that you mentioned, especially in the context that high metal and certain other manufacturers have been prevented and other countries indeed have been told no when they suggested they would ship some German made equipment. Um, so you're you're quite you're very correct to raise that. Um, however, as you will appreciate, uh, the, the basis of what you of all that you've said also makes it very difficult for me to comment any further on the merits of it because you know just as you noted it's difficult to know what which numbers specifically mean and it's kind of hard to compare as a consequence um, all I will say is that I would love for uh, all the countries to do you know tenfold more than they've done thus far uh, and then it's maybe something that we can all agree on uh, and with that I will go on to Dr. Chorizo. Uh, good morning from California. I had a question on the treatment of Ukrainian refugees in Europe. Um, I raised this question because yesterday I saw a segment on DW on uh, about Ukrainian uh, refugees in Bulgaria. How initially they were being housed in some of the the beach resorts, but because now the summer months um, of tourism, um, they're being uh, removed from those resorts that where they were being housed and they kind of showed the the sentiment of the local people saying enough to help the ukrainians and they kind of you know don't want them there and from seeing that that really kind of just uh really made me upset just because you know you know bulgaria being part of nato eu how much they've been helped since um post-soviet era and for them to be having that sentiment towards the Ukrainians being subjected to, you know, Russian genocide. It's just uh, infuriating me. And, you know, I wish, you know, the Ukrainians were coming here to California, especially in my town. I wish they were here so I could have better, better food, but I'm not sure if anyone in Europe can kind of, kind of speak on, you know, what's, what's going on there in terms of their treatment. I think it's a mountain out of a molehill, really, honestly, um, generally, uh, I, I don't think there are problems. I'm sure that you can find anecdotal situations such as the one that you've detailed specifically. Um, and, you know, when a television crew goes to um, a town, you can always find one or two or three particularly 
grumpy people um, who hate everything and everything's the worst, etc. I don't consider that beyond anecdotal evidence. Now, if there was a there was some reliable polling done, uh, did you say that you know, 40, 45, 50% of people agree with that viewpoint? Sure, fine. We can uh, we can talk about the specificities of um, Bulgaria uh, later a little bit. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Christian would. Be willing to comment on that. Uh, there are certain, certain political factors. We saw just a second. There are certain political factors, of course, in, in Bulgaria that would potentially directly affect that. But I think, in general, uh, there is no such negative sentiment at all. VSO um, and then Christian. Thank you, Doman. Uh, just what Doman said is per, uh, correct. Um, I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, for your information, Doc, just to, to point out where I am. Um, but it doesn't matter a lot. Uh, Ukrainians are being supported in many ways, but um, from uh, several points, yeah, it's getting difficult in a tiny bit, and I understand it, but it's, it's like Doman already pointed out, it's a very few where, yeah, maybe a bit of friction is, but um, you have to understand the to put it in perspective. The news is not very pro-Ukrainian, and that also gives some mindset. And people are willing to help, but it's uh, we don't in Europe we don't have a lot to spend in our budget, so it creates friction in di several different ways. And Ukrainians get money, and that's not always uh, maybe shared with the host uh, to to pay the bill, so eating out of an already tiny pocket might give friction at that point. Ukrainians have jobs and so forth, and there are a lot of things being done. They have their own housing, and um, we have even old rules being uh, upgraded so they can get new housing, and it's a difficult situation for everybody to earn on. But yeah, like Domin already pointed out, and just to add, uh, it's, it's still a small percentage versus the big hole. Every uh, they're dispersed, and it, it created a, by, in the, for example, here in the Netherlands, we already had an overcrowded import, let me say, from external sources, and then the Ukrainians was all over at an overburdened source, being more stressed. So, yeah, just to to give you better insight. Uh, yeah, it's just giving a bit of tension, but yeah, Ukrainians are more than welcome to come and being helped, and they're really helped, and also they do their part. So I would say it's over. It's it's a more optimistic than negative in this uh, sense. Thank you, Domin, for the chat. Thank you, VSO. No worries, uh, Christian. Um, I would love if you were to comment on this. I'm sure you're detailedly aware of the situation with refugees in Romania and just how much uh, Romanian Romanian people have done for Ukrainian refugees, Romania being a bordering country of Ukraine and you know, having accepted a very large number of being in the same sort of neighborhood as Bulgaria, as it were. Uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, the point is that what uh, the previous speakers have heard over the news for me, it's a, it's a bit of a surprise because what it is reported in Romania about the, the Ukrainians on the Bulgarian seaside is uh, the following. The Ukrainians did stay there 
while uh, the tourist uh, tourism season was uh, not around, but right now they're being uh, they're to move them to other locations uh, for the hotels to, uh, to be cleared out, cleaned, and so on for the tourism season. Because uh, in my opinion, I don't know if I'm really correct on this, but the Bulgarians do have a, a good industry on that and they do rely on the tourist season. So uh, what I've heard uh, is that uh, the Ukrainians themselves did not really appreciate uh, being moved out of those hotels. So I might be or not be correct on this. I haven't spoken with uh, any Ukrainian on that, but basically that's uh, what I've heard about this subject. On the subject of Romanians, uh, we have no issues. I haven't really heard much about uh, problems with uh, Ukrainians. Uh, well, everybody has... Uh, as you said earlier, pro small problems, uh, disgruntled uh, people, uh, uh, not very friendly people, but I think that's available in uh, that's a real, a real thing in every country. Uh, the problem is for me as Romanian, to be honest, I'm going to ask you guys, how, how does it uh, look from the outside, from the military uh, perspective, because we here have or I don't have any clue about what we're doing uh, military, uh, for military supplying uh, Ukrainians. I do know that uh, our army and our uh, stocks are not that, uh, let's say, pristine. <laughs> so in true honesty, I think right now, in my opinion, without knowing, because they're not really telling us anything. It might be under the radar or it might not be. But I don't know what we're doing in terms of supplies. Thanks, Richard. So, I will try. And then I will have people who are more qualified than me to comment, either request to come up or jump straight in. Because uh, that's how it usually works. Um, so, first of all, I'll say... Can, can I jump should... in from Bulgaria? Can, can we just, just, just answer a sure. question on, on this first? Because... Um, I think this is really important, and you know I'm really glad that we have him here as well because um, th this might be uh, important later on. Um, so we've had someone on from Romania a few days ago who was basically saying um, armaments factories close to where they live are doubling, if not tripling, the workforce, and uh, they've not had this many employees for ever, right? Um, so that that's really good to hear. Additionally, what my what my understanding is, and I'm sure that you know this, that you've heard at least this. Maybe you can confirm it. Um, Romania is fixing up some uh, tanks and other armored vehicles for Ukraine. Uh, maybe it's not true, but it was definitely offered at some point, and I'm pretty sure that that's going on. Uh, to the best of my understanding, some uh, Soviet uh, caliber artillery shells were sent as well. Uh, as they were from Bulgaria. But of course, Roma the Romanian government has kept extra silent about, about most things, right? And I think that they've kind of started the same idea as, uh, say, the Norwegians and the Finns have now a bit earlier, right? We don't say anything. Maybe we'll say something when uh, 
things are ready in the battlefield in theater, but until then, there's no point in talking. And honestly, I think that's a pretty good approach to things, right? Norway did the same this week. Finland did the same this past week as well. Finland basically said, we're sending some stuff. We're not saying how much, what uh, what stuff we're sending. We're just saying we're sending some stuff and, you know, you might find out eventually uh, once it already hits the Russians, um, which I think is probably a good idea. Um, I will see if anybody else has anything to add to this. Bad timing. Normally we'd have about three people jumping all over it. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stick about. And Christian, I'd still love it if you sent me a DM. Christian? Yeah, so um, the thing is, I actually did hear about this in some uh, off-the-record uh, stuff that we uh, did send uh, some uh, Soviet-era uh, type ammunitions and uh, uh, infantry transport vehicles, but I could not confirm or infirm, as a former president used to say, <laughs> uh, that this is true. So I, I couldn't say, to be honest. Yeah, I see. That makes sense. Um, I, I think it's really uh, the sort of situation. Adrian, you probably know more. Uh, so Adrian is a Romanian filmmaker who, with the with the Ukrainian, with strong Ukrainian connections, let's say. Hey, hello there. Well, I grew up on military bases, actually, and I come from a military family, but... Uh, I must say I'm not uh, that much in tune with um, our armaments industry and I haven't been seeing. Obviously, I have the feeling that they are sending things, but obviously don't have a public strategy. But, but I don't know as much when it comes to shells like 152s. Yeah, we do have pretty much a lot of stockpiles of that. That's true. I don't know how well they were maintained since Soviet times and so on. But when it comes to tanks, for example, I don't know if we will ever consider sending them. We basically had the T-55, which is uh, like for the tank guys here, it's uh, definitely a very subpar tank. And then we have a Romanian produced TR-85, which many people say is the worst modern tank in the world. So I'm not sure we can help them with uh, tanks, but uh, with ammo, yeah, I think we can. Those are my thoughts on the subject. If I may, for just a second, to Certainly. complete what uh, Adrian was saying, uh, it is true. It is, the TR-85 is considered uh, an infantry support tank, if you can understand that. So it's not really a main battle tank, to be honest. It's, it's really bad. So what's the, what, what is it the equivalent of uh, in the Soviet system? Well, it's basically a T... I don't know the the chassis on which it was built, but I think it's a T-82 or something like that. It's really old anyway. The point I is, think it's, a it's T not... Uh, apologies, I, I actually think it's a T-55, but I'm not sure oh. the chassis. Oh, oh yeah. God, okay. okay, that is so, ancient then. Yeah, it's ancient. But ah, I, I'm okay, not 100% on that, so I must uh, put that caveat in. It's basically Ceausescu wanted the, the modern tank, and then when uh, communism fell, it was kind of finished. Uh, but it doesn't have reactive armor. It has some optics, but it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with him it's, uh, on this matter that it's really bad. I do not know myself if, if it's a uh, T-55. He obviously, uh, obviously knows, knows more about it because I'm not really a military expert. But, uh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. That, that is true, at least. Thanks, Christian. Um, 
yeah, no, I'm I'm not exactly sure what else. Uh, but as I said, as you said, um, they've been keeping really quiet uh, compared to most other countries, and I think that's a part of the strategy. Let's um, go to Raver, then Donnie, then Cafeli. Raver. Hello, everyone. I'm unloading freight. So if you hear something, that's just me unloading freight. A uh, couple of things. Uh, the TR85 is the latest version. The Bison is uses a Leopard One power pack. Still got the 100 millimeter gun. Updated optics. It does have some ERA. It is not survivable. Uh, my main point that I raised my hand for is, anytime I hear anything that oh. There's this chink or that chink or this Ukrainian's being mistreated or that's going on. I man, I just smell Russian disinformation and agitprop at this point. I just can't trust the Russians. Um, this is their whole kit and caboodle is trying to divide everybody. And I'll go back to listening. Cheers, Raven. Um Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think that last bit that you know that I think that's really true. And um, of course, we didn't comment on the political situation in Bulgaria much, but I'll, I'll just say this much: um, there, there's a good chunk that um, are happy to to you know follow Russia more than the West. Um, not everyone, but you know the recently ex defense minister being one probably. So that that's good to know, Donny. Yeah, I just want my dad's in Bulgaria right now, and. Um... It just really, it's demographics, like the the era of people that were born in the 50s, 60s, 70s under communist rule and under Russian propaganda were taught, number one, taught Russian, so they still watch Russian news. And number two, were taught that, you know, Russia saved them from Turks. So there's, so the older people definitely have a Russian leaning lilt. And so if you're asking someone that owns a resort, he's probably older and he probably has that leanings, whereas the younger generation was more Western facing, Western aspirations. <laughs> Majority of them have left the country to Ireland or Germany um, to make money and send it back to remittance to their parents. So, you know, you'll have a, you know, just the way demographics work. You know, depending on the depending on how many wrinkles the person has in Bulgaria, you'll find different. Answers. That's it. Cheers, Donny. Um, yeah, Christian, I'm sure you can confirm that in in two words. Basically, yeah, it's kind of the same situation that's happening all over the Eastern Bloc. So, for example, if you have Moldova, of course, the elder population is going to be more inclined to uh, be on the side of Russians or maybe just stay out of it completely. And I think it could be the same in Bulgaria. I, I could not speak for Bulgaria. It's right very now, much the same, then. 100%. Okay, so there you go. I'm going to step down. Thanks, sir. Cheers, Donny. Um, I generally advise people, anybody who hasn't um, spoken in there for a long time, if you can just put yourself down to listen, that'd be great, because I'm sure we're going to have lots of requests coming in. Um, let's go to Kafteli and then to Nick. Kafteli. Thank you. Yeah, there are not so many countries that make modern weapon. Uh, I mean, Eastern Bloc countries giving to Ukraine old stuff. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, except for, in some cases, this is real junk. Uh, modern weapon, yeah, there are not too many uh, countries, like I said, um, US, UK, Germany, France. I don't even know if, um, well, probably Italy does, uh, I mean, other countries also do here and there. South Korea, 
does a lot of, uh, well, if not a lot, at least they do make some Hovitzers, which I believe Poland is now trying to build um, probably alongside with Ukraine, which would be awesome. But um, yeah, that's why like six Hovitzers from France are a great help. Obviously, 18 will be much greater. And um, yeah, I almost want to ask why not 40, but like I understand it's complicated. That's like big politics. But um, um, another thing is why would Germany mind that Spain give its old tank Leopard to Ukraine? Um, so looks like there is some politics involved and um, uh, while uh, I'm sure if some country somewhere in the middle of, uh, say, in I don't know, in Central African Republic, can they go and buy German weapons, especially all German weapons from Spain? Will there be any problems or any issues? Or it will be just a matter of, uh, you know, this whole deal will be finished in five minutes. So can you, can you say real quick again? Sorry, Kafteli, uh, I had a bit of wind. Can you yeah, re- say again? Quick, uh, Spain, uh, what? So is it is that difficult to buy all German equipment for some other countries, not in Ukraine and not the, the countries that is trying to fight back Russian aggression? Um, say, if a country needs for some reason tank for, I don't know, their internal purposes. Yeah, no, Where it's, it's generally not. What's that? It's generally not that hard. It's generally not that hard, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, notably, Germany like, has. Any seller is glad to sell <laughs> his product, right? Germany is relatively scrupulous, as has been uh, Switzerland ever since um, those. I forget what it was. They sold something, and I think they sold it to the UAE, and it ended up in Morocco, and they weren't very happy about that. So since then, they've been relatively scrupulous when it comes to, you know, nations that aren't that clear. But I mean, come on, right? How? What else does Ukraine have to prove to them to for them to just get out of that way? Uh, yeah, that's that's excellent question. That like countries and people stop looking at it like Russian backyard and doing anything with Ukrainians. Uh, oh wait, uh, Russians will be angry like. Um, because uh, let's face it, that's the real problem, um, and, and that's the real objection. Uh, again, uh, if it was I don't know Venezuela, uh, like even if it was Russia, like who would? Uh, because when like Russian tanks are equipped with German transmission, right? And uh, maybe there were no sanctions back in that time, but I mean, come on, does it take too long to get some analysis about why this or that customer wants your product that that can only be used in a tank, right? It's tank transmission. Obviously, they are not building uh, new bridges or some kind of infrastructure. <laughs> these are tanks. No, no, Kafteli, so... you, you, you don't understand. There are these... Um... You know, lorries that you use in mines, and uh, they use exactly the same transmission. Therefore, it's dual use. And... <laughs> I am pretty sure tank transmission is tank transmission. Like, no matter how you, uh, what is the packaging set. So, 
Yeah, it, I wish, I, I know this is wishful thinking, but I wish companies and countries making weapons do better due diligence when they sell weapons uh, and uh, they make better choices of their customers. And I hope that Ukraine will join democratic countries and if democratic country wants to buy your weapon it should be almost fast track you know without need to call putin and ask if he would mind and and just to clarify right ukraine is a staunchly democratic country it's just that it does it it hasn't been you know whitelisted by the relevant authorities in all the other democratic countries in the way it should they should correct be, for right? some reason it is considered blacklisted while putin's regime is not considered blacklisted until very recently at least yeah and it's all about the, the phallus optics and the like right as well uh and i think that's a really important question to be asking um correct. yeah yeah you know alex you and i as as per usual we're about you know 97 percent in agreement and the other three percent are both of ours imperfection, imperfect knowledge of the English language, right? Um, right. Let's. Uh, no, I, I think these are, you know, fantastic points that I hope that our uh, German cohort will raise with their elected representatives that they themselves probably haven't elected in the first place, or at least they're probably minor coalition partners. Um, let's go on to Nick. Nick. Go ahead. Also, wait, wait a second, Nick. Just, just before you go ahead, I want to tell Wojtek, uh, um, whom I think is probably Czech. I think uh, if you want to put your hand up, that'd be that'd be really appreciative. I'd be really appreciative of that. Um, it's the heart with a plus, just to the left of the big blue button in the bottom right, so that I know to call on you. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you, so please do that, so I know to call on you after Nick. Nick, go ahead. Thank you, Dom, and good morning, world, uh, or good afternoon, or good evening uh, from the Pacific Northwest. Um, I wanted to uh, express my deep sense of sorrow for the loss of Roman, and to express my condolences to his family, and my outrage that this absurd tragedy is being visited on a country that only wanted the Western norm of self-determination and personal liberty. I I overheard, I, I wasn't able to join, uh, but I my iPod runs Walter Report uh, 24-7 into whichever blue 